Welcome to Reformed Radio, the show that's not afraid to hit you with the five solos. This week we're going to have a special guest on, Pastor Mark Schooley of the Five Solas Church in League City, Texas. We're going to start off this, this whole series by talking about the five solas and what they are and what they mean to you. And for those of you who don't know, this would be a great episode to start tuning into as we go through the basics and start off with Sola Scriptura. Before we get started, I'd like to let you know that we are part of Five Sola Studios. It's a ministry that's designed to provide you with all kinds of resources, from sermons and podcasts to parenting tools. Head over to fivesolastudios.com to learn more. All right, that's it for me. On with the show. Hell is where God says, have it your way. If someone will not have God, then they bring their own hell with them. If Christ is Lord, then he rules over how I watch TV, how I treat my children, how I treat my neighbors. He rules over everything. Oh, you're breaking his heart. No, he's going to break you. What's wrong with you people? I mean, this is what's wrong with the Christian church today. We don't know who God is. Give us some men who know the truth. Put on the full armor of God and pray, 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 and pray. Officer, you are not engaging in activity and constitutional behavior. You don't know the law, and yet you pretend to represent it. Five Solo Studios presents Reformed Radio. All right. Hello, Mr. Mark Schooley. How you doing, Tommy? I'm doing great. Yeah. I'm glad to have you on the show with us today. Um, we're going to learn a little bit more about the five solas. At least that's the goal. Um, and since you are a pastor of the Church of the Five Solas, I feel like it's most fitting for you to be on the show to talk about this. Well, it's fitting for both of us to be here. <laughs> you know, uh, I'm really fired up about uh, your new channel and what we're doing here and getting this thing kicked off. And I hope that we can just make video after video on all kinds of different things that are going on uh, with theology, with the Christian world, uh, with the church, um, and just uh, get busy doing this. Really fired up. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I was, you know, I got laughed at for a long time for naming our church Five Solas. Uh, <laughs> I had a newspaper reporter come in early on, sit through a service, and afterwards he told me, Mark, nobody's going to put up with all this Latin stuff in this day and age. <laughs> what does that even mean? <laughs> what is it? I mean, nobody in Galveston County is going to put up with this, right? I mean, I, I, when I first saw it, I didn't understand what it meant. You know, we're in the Bible Belt here, and so... Nobody knows what that means. Yeah, exactly. And But what I found, I'm so happy, and I thank God that we named the church Five Solas because the minute somebody asked me about the church, I'm already preaching the gospel mm. because the Five Solas is the gospel. They are collectively the gospel. And the minute you start to... The minute you say Five Solas Church, everybody, like you said, well, what's that, right? Yeah, and, exactly. And if it were named, you know, Wood Forest Church, you don't get anything <laughs> out of it, right? But yeah. Five Solas, what's that? Well, it's Sola Scriptura, it's Sola Gratia, it's Sola Fide, it's Solus Christus, it's Sola Deo Gloria. So you're already preaching the gospel to people 
just by explaining the you, name you of the church. You just have to translate it. Right. <laughs> that, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all the simple well, folk don't understand that. <laughs> let's get this part out of the way right now. With this accent, Latin's not easy, yeah. right? Greek's not easy. English isn't easy, right? So <laughs> you got that little hurdle. I know. Hurdle. I've heard some of your sermons. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, we need to work on your accent. You're about halfway there in your little Provo. <laughs> You're I, I can bring way. it out. We have a segment that we'll, we'll play later on, and you'll, you'll hear some of my unique accents come through. Excellent. Maybe not the one that right. I should use for preaching. <laughs> right Excellent. on. So there's five solos, so there's five different ones, and so mm-hmm. we thought it would be best to take uh, one at a time. So we just spend... A whole episode just talking about one of the solos. So which one are we going to talk about today? Well, let's start out with Sola Scriptura, right? right. The Bible alone, Scripture alone. All right, Scripture alone. Very, very important, Scripture alone. And in a lot of ways, uh, the Word of God is what our faith is founded on, right? So a good working definition of Sola Scriptura would just be uh, the soul authoritative standard by which we um, we measure all the Christian things that we do we mm-hmm. measure our beliefs our doctrine our practice everything by the Word of God by the Word of God, by the Word of God right? right that's now it is it itself is not the authority right okay. so this is not a Bible olatry right it's not making an idol out of the scriptures the scriptures are not the authority. They're the authoritative standard, right? Interesting. So can you, can you break that down a little bit more? Let's break it down. So the authority in all things is who? God. Is God, right? right? God's the authority. The Holy Spirit who inspired the scriptures is the authority. Okay. The, the Bible is a collection of his inspired writings, mm-hmm. right, through the authors, that uh, serves as our standard. It's the objective standard f- that derives from the authority himself, which is God. Okay. Right? Okay. So God is the authority, and mm-hmm. he has given us his word, which mm-hmm. we can learn and understand what he wants for us. And, and in that sense, it's authoritative on our lives, right? It's absolutely. It's the authoritative standard, right? Mm-hmm. Jesus is your authority. He's the church's authority. But how do you know what he's saying? You gotta read the Bible. He has given you his authoritative standard, okay. right? That his unchanging word. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I was I was looking some things up and I was on uh, Legionnaire Ministries. Uh, great call out, I mean great company, really like what they're doing, but somebody named Ryan McGraw mentioned this and I thought it was really great. It says the five solos guard and clarify the gospel, mounting a friendly offensive attack on an unbelieving world transforming Christ's enemies into his friends. And so you're saying that all starts Sola Scriptura. All starts. So in the Old Testament, Hebrew says God spoke in various sundry ways through prophets and miracles and all these different ways. He appeared in theophanies and Christophanies, burning bushes, all, all kinds of things, right? But in this last days, he has spoken to us through his son, who is the word of God. And he has... Yeah given us this inspired repository that never changes okay and that that is exactly what um he would use in this case this is this is my calling and your calling to go out and proclaim what what tommy thinks (laughs) or (laughs) or or the word of god 
right? Mm -hmm. What Mark thinks, what my wife thinks, what somebody walking down the street thinks, right? Mm -hmm. Or the word of Christ, which is the word of God inspired. Awesome. Mm -hmm. That's good. So why, why does this matter? Like why is, okay, how about this? When did this get developed? Like in history, through church history, did this just happen? Was this part of the Reformation? Was this even before then? Like, where did this come from? Where did the five solas come from? So the five solas are the rallying cry of the Protestant Reformation, right? They, but they themselves don't really coalesce into that phrase, five solas, until much, much later. But they were around uh, through the Reformers. And, of course, our claim is that they come out of the Bible. These are expressions of the truths taught in the Bible, right? Okay. Faith alone, you know, Romans 4 right it's clearly clearly taught through the example of abraham sola fide right sola gratia that salvation comes through christ alone solus christus that um the work of christ alone is what justifies me before god the righteousness of christ his his life death um his work on the cross his burial his resurrection right souls only christ and i i cannot add anything to that work Okay. okay. These these are the these are um, the five solas encapsulates the gospel. All these things are the gospel, the good, the very good news of Jesus Christ. Um, I was looking at um, something that Charles Spurgeon had said. He said, "To go behind Scripture did not occur to the first teachers of our faith. They heard the oracle of divine testimony and bowed their heads in reverence. Though it ought to be with us, we have erred from the faith, and we shall pierce ourselves." through with many sorrows until we feel that if the scripture said it, it is so I really like that he says to go behind scripture right. you know I feel like that happens a lot especially in our current day as people try to get around scripture mm-hmm. and not necessarily add to it they just want to say oh let me get down here let me slide this <laughs> under the door and I can creep in and, and mess with everything um, so was when this was all put together as a proclamation, as the, as this really cool slogan, was it to combat anything going on historically that you know of, or is this just a, a natural conglomeration of everything? No, they, these are uh, did come together as a rallying cry of the Reformation. So the reformers looked at the Catholic Church and said, "What? There's all kinds of different authorities going on around. Yeah, that, yeah. Catholicism has a three-legged stool, right? They have the Bible, they have church tradition, and they have the Pope, mm-hmm. and those three are equal, um, supposedly, right? Yeah. And so, yes, what the reformers were saying was, we have no other authoritative standard except for the Bible. So it definitely does come out of that historical context. But we can look back further than that, even to the New Testament, to see that the apostolic authority was going to um, culminate by the end of the first century at the latest, right? And what they were communicating by the Word of God in written form is that after um, the apostles died out there was no more oral authority Mm. right because apostle paul had oral authority right james had oral authority right they but there's no apostles anymore right and this is what they left us and this is what they passed down so in other words there's no uh peter does not 
give a line of authoritative succession into the Bishop of Rome, for example, right? It's what Sola Scriptura is telling us is that when the apostles quit writing, that was the end of it. Okay. And that and that applies to even the Mormons. <laughs> Why don't you take that one? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can see where that's going to go. <laughs> yeah, does it? I, I want to ask you that. Does it apply to the Mormons? What about Jehovah's Witnesses? What about what about Islam? Right. All 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 these other books. Yeah, and I, and I think something that you can look at that's common with all of them is they do not apply this principle of Sola Scriptura. They say, I'm going to slide something under this. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go behind Scripture and add to it. Uh, even, <laughs> I think of Mormonism, <laughs> and I'm like, you had an angel who gave you something different, um, in which Scripture says, even if an angel, <laughs> angel. should give you something different than this, that That's it right. should be right. So I think it's just very clear uh, when we look at why, what Sola Scriptura means, uh, that it's a really good defense for protecting the gospel. And I think that's really what this is all about. And I think what the five solos is about is protecting the gospel for all of us. So you keep mentioning foundations. How well do you do when you cut your foundation out? It starts uh, to crumble. It, everything crumbles, right? Mm -hmm. a, a bad foundation. What did Jesus say about the wise man? He builds not on the sand, right? Yeah. But on the on mm -hmm. the rock, yeah. the wise man. And when the storm comes, the man who builds on sand, what happens? It's wiped away, wiped right? Away, yeah. It's like a sandcastle. Yeah. Exactly. So let let's hit a little closer to home. Then you know we you were talking about Mormons and Islam and these and things that are really, um, well, I shouldn't say. <laughs> You're going to laugh when I say this because I was going to say things that are extra Christian, but I'm going to say, well, how about the Word of Faith movement, right? Mm -hmm. But that's kind of extra outside of Christian orthodoxy, too. Mm -hmm. And what do you see in the Word of Faith movement? You see a lot of denial of Sola Scriptura, don't you? It's like the gateway drug into all of this. <laughs> <laughs> it is. That's a great way to put it. It's. I am not familiar with any major Christian group that has denied sola fide and has not gone off the rails at some point. Yeah. You know, it's I, inevitable. I, it's inevitable. It's it, that slippery slope and it's, you're not coming back from their guardrails. So what, what happens what occurs in the word of faith movement? Somebody, well, God told me this, right? Mm -hmm. Isn't that common? Yeah. Or not only does God tell me this, it, I can, produce through the power of faith realities around me yeah okay this yeah. is all deviation from sola scriptura mm -hmm. um you know the this idea that i've never understood the god tells me because I, I always wondered well why would he need to tell you to come up to me after church and say god told me why wouldn't he just tell me and then, is, is he just yeah. trying? Is he just trying to get more people involved or something? <laughs> <You know? Yeah. laughs> He's trying to grow a church. <laughs> what and get people involved? I mean, what? <laughs> I can get somebody if I just do this. I mean, yeah. I've I've seen a lot of that before, mm -hmm. and I've seen a lot of it where they make predictions and they they don't happen. Mm -hmm. And that was one of my biggest problems with it. Right. Is, well, you've made God into a liar. To a liar. He's just a con artist. Amen, now. brother. Either that or you're a fool. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to lean towards you're a fool. Yeah. I know he's not, I'm not, so. 
Yeah. So we'll be right back after this. Uh, so stay tuned, folks. Welcome to Hard Questions and Good Answers. I'm here today. I'm Ryan, by the way, and I'm here to read a question that our viewer has proposed to us, and I intend to answer it with the address of a letter. Let's hold on, folks, and let's jump on in. The first question that we're going to answer, and the only one I'm going to answer today, because it's very long, is this. If anything that is no longer being sustained by God will cease to exist, this includes people in hell, doesn't it? Well, that is a great question, Mr. Anonymous. But first, I agree with the proposition. And we see it all over creation like a tree that decays and returns into dirt. However, I must disagree with the conclusion that people cease to exist when they are in hell because it is inconsistent with scripture and reason, which I aim to prove herein. For the worm does not die and the fire isn't quenched. This is from Mark 9, 48. Consider that the worms in hell are not annihilated even though the fire never goes out. So why should man, who is also to be in the fire, to be annihilated? If the worm is in hell forever, why should man be any different? Furthermore, man deserves to be there as the consequence for his sin. And we are not without warrant to point out that a right understanding of Mark 9.48 has man re represented as the worm. And Gehenna, the ever-burning trash heap. The idea that the soul is immortal and that the soul doesn't just disappear, but is sustained by God either in life or judgment, is completely upheld by our Bibles here in Scripture, and your objection has been answered. But I will give a more thorough answer. Next, I would like to develop the point that hell is eternal. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire, Matthew 3.12. And in Matthew 18.8, hell is referred to as the eternal fire. There are other verses I can use for this point, but let's consider these. We know from these that hell is a place of fire, and that hell is eternal and unquenchable. Then my goal is to convince you that just as hell is eternal place, so the torment there will be forever. Everyone who is outside of Christ will be in hell forever because they have sinned against our holy God. And there is no one righteous, no, not one, no, not one, does what's right and never sins. They are judged justly because God is just. What should our righteous God do to unrighteous men? Can men outside of Christ pay the debt of their sin? The soul, though it may be rightly called dead, is not annihilated for a couple of reasons. Number one, the justice of God. God is a just judge, and he will by no means acquit the guilty. I am one three. I want to say that I intend this as a friendly response. You do not hold to insistent annihilation, and so you are not a heretic. Which is good, because I don't want to make you a heretic because you're Mr. Anonymous. But your view is inconsistent with clear scripture. You would agree that if the soul is instantly destroyed, then God would be unjust because the wicked got away scot-free. Great Scott! Recall that there will be judgment for every careless word, Matthew 12, 36. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable for hell fire, Matthew 5, 22. Now what I expect to be your position is that hell is a spiritual death row 
For man burns off his sin, and there is no more. But man can't pay for his sin, and God will by no means acquit the guilty. Number two. A continuation of the soul state from before the death's body. Oh, wait, wait, scratch that. The body's death. That man fallen in Adam. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Genesis 2.17 is spiritually dead by nature. That this theme doesn't end with the book of Genesis, but carries through the entire word of God. Found in Ezekiel 36.26, Matthew 8.22, Romans 5.12, and Ephesians 2.1. Men without Christ are already dead in their trespasses and iniquities. And so even now the wrath of God is being revealed against godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Though they are shown kindness now on earth, in hell the wrath of God is completely displayed and he will by no means acquit the guilty. Why is the repeated either life or judgment in scripture? Because mankind without Christ is dead and liable to everlasting judgment in hell. But Christ gives life to dead men. John 5:24. Only Christ is accountable ransom for our souls, and is acceptable ransom for our souls. My understanding of your position, in short, is that a person in hell is tormented, then after paying for their sins, annihilated. But what I would argue is that we cannot atone for our sins. Not for sins can I atone nothing but the blood of Jesus. Further, you would have to assume that the person stops sinning in hell because if they sin in hell, it adds to the time in hell. Obviously, the people in hell are not completely sanctified because they gnash their teeth against God. Just as they were sinners on earth, so they will be sinners in hell. Have you thought about that before? Hmm. And you know that they do not love God. Also, that the law is to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind. My argument here is that I doubt that any man could pay off less of his sins in hell. But supposing they could, for every penny they pay, even more debt would be added to them, and there would still be no escape from hell. Let's look at the rich man in Luke 16, 19 through 31. Consider the rich man who died in verse 23, and the text immediately picks up in 24. In Hades there he was in torment, and later in that same verse, I am in agony in this fire. In verse 25, we see Lazarus is in comfort, while the rich man is in agony. Again in 28, hell is referred to as this place of torment. Our passage here gives us no out for the rich man, just as he gives us no out for Lazarus. And to read any escape for the rich man is completely foreign to scripture. Let's take a look at Daniel 12:2. And many of those who sleep in the dust of earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Can a soul that no longer exists feel shame? Of course not. The souls in hell feel shame because they have everlasting contempt of God. The contempt of God remains on sinners forever in hell. There is no escape them. Let us look at Matthew 25, 41-46, appropriately labeled Roasting Goats. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food, and I was thirsty, you gave me no drink, and I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me naked, and you did not clothe me sick, and in prison you did not visit me. 
Then they also answered, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick in prison, and did not minister you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. I brought verse 46 up to the other night, but you didn't know that because you're Mr. Anonymous. The goats are told to go into eternal life. This is their eternal punishment. Saying that the goats are consumed by the fires and consistent with the passage because they are an eternal punishment. There is no conditional immorality of immortality of the soul in this passage. If you may use the second death as a biblical reference, so I do want to address it if you did. In Revelation 20, and the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades gave it to the dead who were with them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name is not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. We need to keep in mind that this is in light of the great white throne judgment. Our Bibles define the second death as the lake of fire in verse 14, and the characteristic of the lake shown in verse 10 is not annihilation, but torment with the two references to day and night. The torment of the lake of fire will be all day with no break or rest. Forever and ever the torment will go on continuously with no escape. Verse 10's context is dealing with the judgment of the devil, and the other enemies of God, the false prophets and the beasts from either in the book. I don't want to lose you here, but the false prophet is a man like you or me. And he also gets judged forever. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. There is no escape from hell between verses 10 and, 1 and 11 or 15. We are given no different expectation for those who are not in the book of life. They will be judged according to what they have done and thrown into the lake of fire, which is the second death, not annihilation. This is reaffirmed in Revelation 21, 8. Well, I hope that you enjoyed my response and that you may have learned something new about hell, although it is a bleak and horrible conversation that we have to have. It is helpful, I think, and appropriate for building one another up. Thank you for listening. Ryan answers hard questions with good answers. All right, well, welcome back. Uh, we're here with Pastor Mark, and we're going to continue talking through the five solas. Um, as we've talked about, we are really hitting sola scriptura currently, but we thought we'd just take a step back and explain a little bit more about what all of it is in general. So if you want to kind of enlighten us on, uh, I guess, the grand scale of things, just a quick summary for us, because we're, we're going to spend several more episodes on this. Well, I, yeah, I would like to dig down... A little bit deeper into Sola Scriptura to start off with, yeah, because ahead. it's misunderstood a lot. It it doesn't mean the Bible is the only place I get information, right? Um, I just spent ten years putting a telescope a million miles from Earth, believe it or not, James Webb Space Telescope. And how often do you think we use the Bible? 
to do uh, that. I mean, you have to look at it constantly, right? I mean, all this, how do I launch the rocket? Yeah. <laughs> okay. We, Second hesitation. <laughs> right. We, yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> we, used to, we used a lot of math, yeah. right? We used a lot of physics knowledge. We used a lot of engineering. Um, we developed a chamber that could go down to 10 Kelvin. Okay, that's really cold. That's that's getting close to uh, absolute zero. Mm-hmm. Somewhere I'm I'm not a scientist, but it's somewhere around negative 450 degrees Fahrenheit. Just almost. Is that like is that the pressure <laughs> chamber that they have down there? That's the one. It's, yeah, they, somebody who happened to be using it on our tour, so we didn't get to see it. You know, oh, is that right? Well, you can see it in Armageddon uh, if you ever <laughs> saw that movie or not. Um, that's an oldie right there. Uh, yeah, well, for me, it, for, for yeah, me. yeah. See, the age thing's always going to come up. It? Yeah, so. <laughs> it's like Ronald Reagan said that time. I will not use my opponent's youth and inexperience against him. Right? <laughs> they might so, use it against you, though. Right. <laughs> so, uh, the, what Sola Scriptura is not teaching is that this is the only place that we can get knowledge. Okay. A- yeah. At all, it's yeah. it's teaching that it's our sole authoritative standard for doctrine and for Christian living. So it's it's the information contained in the Bible, and it's also any necessary inference mm-hmm. or a necessary deduction from it. So what did Martin Luther say when he stood up in front of the Diet of Worms? Unless I am convinced by sacred scripture, right? And what did he add? or evident reason and so evident reason with a deduction from the scriptures is works too as far as sola scriptura teaches right Mm. so does the bible talk about heroin no no it doesn't right (laughs) is heroin a sin well i mean if you're using heroin you're going to be in some sin i'm just saying they go pretty hand in hand there Mm -hmm. but pharmacia is in the bible right and so um, the use of such drugs um, and intoxicants like that would be a necessary deduction from that. So mm-hmm. that would still fall under the... You can infer from what Scripture says on how mm-hmm. to respond yep. to certain situations. Right, and usually a necessary inference, not one that you think might be true. That's that's sometimes where people start to get in trouble mm-hmm. and push things that, that may or may not be in the Bible. Yeah, and I, w- I would probably take it another step farther mm-hmm. and say... Uh, without scripture you can't justify the things that you're using to send that rocket up into space like you can't justify why you have mathematics or why things are consistent why you can have repeatable um, scientific experiments excellent Uh, although it may not be necessary to perform them to justify it it is necessary yeah, you beat me to it. That's that's part two of this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's uh, the precondition of intelligibility, right? The Word of God is God Himself, right? And and His authoritative standard provi- mm-hmm. provides all the basis for logic in the first place, right. and for thought and thinking and order instead of chaos. Yeah. and on and on yeah. we can go. Absolutely, without a doubt. So then also there's, there's kind of another little adjunct um, to Sola Scriptura, which is Tota Scriptura, right? Which is um, all of the Bible, 
right? Okay, we're just all the Bible. We're just the totality total of it. Yeah, scripture. total yeah. scripture. We're not like... Yeah, I can figure this out. <laughs> <laughs> he already knows it, guys. He's, he's, he, <laughs> this is our first run, and he said he's uh, not letting on all that he... All that he really can do, <laughs> but yeah, that's a good strategy, man. I do it with the accent, see. <laughs> you know, try to dumb it down. Huh? It's, it's, yeah. <laughs> well, you keep using some of these hundred-dollar words, yeah. though, so I don't know. That's hundred. That's all. I need to up my game, then. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So it's the fullness of scripture. So um, all. Um, what is. What does uh, Paul say in Second Timothy? All Scripture is God breathed, God, right? Yeah. Okay, theonistos, um, and is useful, uh, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped, sufficiently mm-hmm. equipped for for all good work. Okay, that's a paraphrase, but that's where sola scriptura is getting to. So tota scriptura means um, all the Bible, all the plenar, plenary verbal. Uh, inspiration. That's one of those say. words. That's one of those words, right but but it's a good one, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. Plenary mean all of it in verbal down to the words. Okay, the very words that that the Spirit has inspired each and every one. Um, it's an organic. It's an organic inspiration, not a mechanical inspiration. Have you ever seen a horror movie where somebody gets possessed by a demon and they start writing? You know, that's not what we're saying. Um, Paul keeps his personality. Right. John right. keeps his. Mm-hmm. James keeps his. Moses keeps his. Right. Yeah. You still have their unique perspectives their, and writing styles that they're right. using. To, Don't you know when you're reading Paul? Yeah, you, you can know. almost always tell, you, you except can when om- you read Hebrew. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> you beat me to it again. <laughs> Get you every time. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, he beat me to it again. Right. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it it it. Sounds like Paul as if perhaps it was written by Luke. So um, at any rate. Um, Might have been a little bit of both, yeah. Yes, yeah, it's, I, it's just kind of a hint there, yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe the, I don't, I don't know, Let's see. Some people I'm sure are like, no, that's yeah. not it. Yeah. <laughs> you guys are crazy. Mm-hmm. Some people, Barnabas, you know, or Apollos, uh, yeah. All right, we're a little off talk, uh, topic. <laughs> but, <laughs> let's, yeah, let's come back to the five solas here. The five solas, all right, well. Um, so, Sola Scriptura, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the yeah. Bible alone. Um, sola Fide, faith alone. Okay. Now, how are you justified before God? Or what does justification even mean? It means a legal declaration by God where he declares the sinner to be that his sins are removed and that he is righteous in his sight, right? He's right. declaring the sinner righteous. A forensic declaration, a legal declaration by God. Okay. But how does that happen? And the five solas tell us. Okay. The instrument is faith. It yeah. comes by grace. And the merit and righteousness is Christ. Okay. So when I'm justified, when I uh, come to faith in Christ, that's an instrument by which um, and it's a gift to me. I don't earn it. I don't, mm-hmm. you know, it comes by grace. Uh, but the merit of Christ uh, is imputed to me through that faith. It's the instrument by which the merit of Christ is imputed. And the scriptures tell me this. So right there in those four, you have the gospel. Yeah. You have the, the way of salvation. The only way by which men, women, and children may be saved, right? And they're all contained yeah. in there. 
-hmm. It tells me in the Bible how else would I know it. And the instrument is faith. It comes by grace. There's nothing I can do myself, and it's the merit of Christ, okay, who is the gospel personified. He is the gospel. The gospel right. is the person and work of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And those four point to what? The glory of God. Oh, yeah. Soli Deo Gloria, right? I try to finish every email with Soli Deo Gloria or at least SDG, you know, mm -hmm. like I think Bach would have written on his, <laughs> on his, on his, uh, uh, musical stances, right? You know, it SG. took me a little bit of time because, again, I'm I'm, I'm from here, and so <laughs> I was Baptist, and I didn't understand. So when I first started talking with you through email. I was like, I'm not sure what that means. Because <laughs> I, I I should know what this means, but I'm not 100 percent sure because it's you know it's live. So. Well, we're we're not born knowing this stuff, right? Well, uh, there was a time I didn't know it either, mm -hmm. and but that's kind of what I was getting to at the beginning. The minute I'm always talking about the gospel because I'm always talking about the five solas, whether it's the name of the church, whether I'm writing an email and putting SDG, mm -hmm. Soli Deo Gloria. You know, I'm, I'm putting it out there. It, it's just, it's a beautiful thing. I, I love it. I'm so thankful to God that he um, saw to it in his sovereignty. Now, I'm not going to say he told me, <laughs> right? You mean you didn't have the vision or the dream? Right. Nobody okay. knocked on the door? I didn't you? get any revelation, right? But through his sovereignty, um, he ordained it, and I'm, I'm so very, very thankful for it. Because he knew what he was doing. Mm -hmm. So that's... Even though you did it. Yeah, perhaps we ought to talk about a little bit of the biblical basis for the five, for Sola Scriptura. Like, does the Bible teach it? Okay. Do you ever think about that? So you mentioned a scripture earlier, which was Galatians chapter 1 and verse 8, where Paul says what? Um, Be it an angel or anyone else oh, yeah. come unto you. Okay, what, What's going on in that scripture? Well, I think Paul's trying to protect um, mm -hmm. the legitimacy of scripture, the validity of it, and say, look, like this is the truth. And this is the authority, which I am telling you this is authoritative, mm -hmm. um, and trying to protect the flock keep them from being led astray from something that's not authoritative outside of scripture right and now that uh, when the apostles were walking around the new testament hadn't been written but they do have the old mm -hmm. okay uh, but when there are no more apostles where did they leave their teachings in the scriptures in right. the writings right yeah. and so now for us two thousand years later when paul says if anyone else tells you another gospel in context for us, where would that happen? Like when? By a source outside of the Bible. Oh, yeah. Is the only way. Because yeah. the Bible's going to give you what? The gospel. Yeah. <laughs> it's and not going to Unless gonna you're deviate. part of those groups that are saying that it's still open, you know, mm -hmm. that the canon's open, and you can continue to add to it um, mm -hmm. these outside revelations. But uh, I think it's clear that the canon is closed. I think we could look at that and see what Paul had written about that. And confirmed it for us but i also think that when you compare what these other external resources are saying they don't line up anyway they don't line up it's easy enough to throw them out um, but they do sucker a lot of people in through mm -hmm. these kinds of deceits because people just they don't know this they aren't right. believing the five solas here they aren't living that out and so i guess with that can we kind of put a little bit of focus on um, maybe a little bit more of the practical application why behind Sola Scriptura? 
Yeah, let's um, let's try to hammer out some of the other scriptural evidences for it first, because a, a really Catholic argument is that the Bible doesn't teach sola scriptura. What's wrong with you people? <laughs> you know, uh, all these guys are saying sola scriptura, and the Bible doesn't even teach it. You know, yeah. that's that that's the common. That's one of the common arguments. So yeah, like a couple other places in the Bible, doesn't it say he whoever adds to the words of this book um, is will be punished, yeah, right? Will be, accursed, yeah. will be accursed, right? It says in Revelation, says it a couple times in Deuteronomy. So you get an internal witness from the Bible saying, Don't add to this. Mm-hmm. This is God's word. Don't you know, don't do that. Right. There's an, a, a cursing for it. Um, so you hear that. You hear, um, of course, Second Timothy three, where the um, all scriptures God breathe, right? And in there it says that it's sufficient for the man of God. Okay. So this does touch. We'll pick back up on this in a minute when we talk about some of the more practical things. But use a man of God. Okay. If you're going to do ministry. What's going to be sufficient for you to do ministry? The Word of God. The Word of God. Isn't that what Paul's getting out there? It's mm-hmm. good for rebu- rebuke and correction, right, for doctrine. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly good for, for holiness, but the point is that it's sufficient. Yeah. I, I don't need to do a mantra. I don't need a spell. I don't need to hear some kind of other thing. I don't need to go search in... Barnes and Nobles for some, <laughs> for some kind of how-to book, right? That yeah. the Bible's sufficient. Um, it it always worries me. It always worries me when I see people bored with the Word of God, mm. right? Or bored with prayer, or bored with the Scriptures and the yeah. preaching of the Scriptures, right? Like. Sermons bore me because I wish they would talk about some other more fun stuff, right? That is is worrisome because it's getting at what Paul's saying here that the Word of God is sufficient. Yeah. See? The inspiration given by the Holy Spirit is sufficient, and I— for the things of the Christian faith, not for flying rockets, right? Not, I mean, you're a guitar player, right? Yeah. I see a, a couple nice ones uh, on the wall here that we might be able to fire up in just a minute, right? Um, do you need the Bible to learn how to play guitar? No. No, you don't, right? Do you need the Bible to write good Christian songs? Yeah. Lyrics, lyric-wise. Yeah. Yes, you do, right? You see, so you see the distinction, and the Bible's sufficient for that. And aren't we glad, Tommy, because let me ask you this. Um, aren't you glad it's not your heart that is um, guiding your thought about the Christian life? Yeah. And about right and wrong yeah, and about the best things to do. It's very flippant. You know, and my yeah. wife's pregnant right now, and so her emotions are whoop, you know, it's a minute this way. Mm-hmm. I love you, baby. That's all I'm trying to say. Right. But um, that's kind of like what our heart is. You know, mm-hmm. our heart's are are not steady like they they chase after things Say all that. the time so one minute you might be right on and you might be doing everything right and then somebody comes along and says something that you necessarily might not like or you <clears throat> want to like and mm-hmm. you shouldn't well your heart wants that so you start going there it's like the it's the disney way of right. thinking follow your heart follow your heart and 
It will never leave you wrong. Right. It always leads you in a ditch. Okay. I mean, it doesn't work. <laughs> it does not work. And that's a denial of Sola Scriptura, right? Because yeah. that's elevating your heart, your feelings, your experiences over Scripture. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I think it's, it's a good thing that we are talking about this because this is something that guards against that. It, it absolutely guards against it. So we'll hammer a little more on that in a minute. Let me, let me give you a few more. So 1 Corinthians chapter 4 is really contested passage, right? But Paul says, don't go beyond what is written. Okay, mm-hmm. now there's a lot of argument about what he means by what is written. But that sounds pretty clear to me. Do not go beyond what is written. Okay. Uh, it, it does sound I, very straightforward. <laughs> you know, now what, maybe. What about if, in the Greek? Does it sound it, the same in the Greek? It even sounds better in the Greek. Okay. okay. So if that was the only scripture in the Bible, all right, maybe we could say, well, what, what is he talking about? Right. But we've already talked about a few already and there's, there's more to come. But when, when you add all of this, plus the necessary inference that we're giving, it sounds a whole lot like Sola Scriptura to me. In fact, I'm comfortable with it. We have it on our website. Do not go beyond what is written. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's just a very good, straightforward, um, you don't want to call it a proof text, right? Um, but it's a very proof texty <laughs> sounding <laughs> Sola Scriptura. Do not go beyond what's written. Okay. Right. Uh, yeah. What about the Bereans? In Acts, what did the Bereans do? They went back to the scriptures to confirm what he was teaching is right. And they were very noble folk, weren't they? They were praised for that behavior, right? So even in the day when the apostolic authority was around and the oral tradition was still going on, right? Because obviously Acts had not been written when the Bereans um, were doing that. As far as the New Testament, they had the Old Testament. Uh, but they would go back to it to search for what was written. You know, right? I think what's mm-hmm. interesting about that is they were able to see um, what was in the New Testament, how it was lining up with what was being taught in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Because obviously they didn't have it, but what they were telling us and what we were hearing is what is found in the New Testament. Uh, so that I think what's really cool about that is the Old Testament was sufficient even then. And Amen, it should be brother. even now. Say that. Yeah. We're not going to unhitch from it, are we? I mean, James White gets to wet his whistle on the dividing line. Right? So I can. Okay, I can you can have it. a drink. All right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're not going to unhitch from the Old Testament, right? No. You know, there's a lot of unhitching I mean, we, from we the Old Testament. We talked about earlier all of Scripture. All the, Scripture. The total, totality. Mm-hmm. I don't remember how you said the Latin one, but it was pretty much the same thing. Toda. Yeah. Toda. Toda. Yeah. Makes me want to sing Rosanna, you know. <laughs> You're so old. I know. <laughs> well, is there a newer reference? I don't know. I mean, Wizard of Oz is even older than that, you know. <laughs> but uh, you make a really good point there about the Bereans. That slipped past me that they were even, think about this then, they were even checking. Um, apostolic authority by the word written in the Old Testament and called noble for it. Mm-hmm. That's pretty powerful. Yeah. That's pretty powerful. I mean, that's what they had then. That's what they I had. I think that justifies mm-hmm. the Old Testament for us right there. See? 
but it but it really lends a lot of strength to this doctrine of sola scriptura that you can you know um, luke is even saying they were they were noble for checking apostolic authority against the word of god yeah you know mm-hmm. that's pretty powerful that yeah, is that's very very powerful that's good as we talked about a little earlier you know every christian group major christian group denomination church i'm aware of that has denied sola scriptura has also inevitably gone off the rails right. at, at yeah, some definitely. point right off the tracks they will start doing something weird mm-hmm. like yeah. telling priests they can't be married yeah <laughs> right you're just asking for you, all these terrible things to happen have been happening in there like saying mary was sinless like you know and you come up with immaculate conceptions and and those are not the worst parts those are the better parts the worst parts are you start denying the gospel itself i have to add to my justification right i that's usually step two and in most of these christian cults as they go from denying scripture by adding or sneaking things underneath it right and then let's add to the works that I have to do to be justified. Exactly. So the same is also true of your daily life and your Christian life. So as a born-again Christian man, I assume you want to live a life pleasing to God. Right. I think that's the mark of, of a Christian. Yeah. Is you want to do things that mm-hmm. please God. Exactly. So how do you know how to do that? We go back to scripture. This is the question right? we're asking, right? <laughs> what is our authoritative standard yeah. that gives me the roadmap, that tells me what's right and wrong, that tells me what God values? So think about it in that term, in yeah. those terms. How do I know what God values? Do I, can I just know it myself? Can I learn it walking down the street? Or is there a, a, an authoritative standard where God, the authority himself, has revealed it? has inspired it Mm -hmm. and it's indispensable for for church behavior and for individual behavior and in all spheres of our lives all of your relationships so you have a wife yeah yes yeah okay yeah so (laughs) yeah (laughs) sorry ladies yeah (laughs) (laughs) so so how do you know how to be a good christian husband and how does the wife know how to be a good Christian wife? We go to scripture. Where do we find where do we find that right? Yeah. Um, you have kids, yes. Mm-hmm. So how do you know how to be um, a good Christian father? Again, it's, we go back to scripture, right? Yeah. So in, in all in all your relationships, how do you know how to be a good employee, a good employer, a good citizen? Right. Just in any relationship that you can think of in this life. It's the the Bible, the authoritative standard that tells us what's right and wrong. Mm-hmm. Okay, doesn't tell me how to turn a wrench or build a rocket or any of that, but it tells me how to live right in this fallen world. Yeah, and what's wrong? How do how do how do how do meet you and I judge this crazy society we live in right now? We go back to Scripture and we can compare it. Right, we have that standard. Uh, that way of looking, the lens to look through it all. Right. So on a societal level then, how did we get to where we are? Why is there so much weirdness and craziness and let's just call it evil? 
going on right now? What well, we, we haven't been applying solo scripture. That's a denial of scripture, right? You can, so your experience confirms this very readily, mm. right? Um, I think practically it's as, as, as important as anything that we preach, sola scriptura is. Um, God's law. Let's talk about God's law a little bit. Doesn't God's law tell us what God values? Yeah. Yeah, well, Isn't that an expression of his will? That's true. Well, wouldn't that be an important thing to know when it comes to society? I would think so. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mean, how, how did they deal with the criminals? How did they deal with uh, the rapist or the people that are stealing or um, the kids falling off of roofs and all that kind of stuff? So how did they deal with it? And then how can we apply that, I think, is why we would look at Scripture and, mm-hmm. and see how Sola Scriptura really helps us in applying it to our normal lives. Precisely, and doesn't <clears throat> the entirety of your experience in this world, in all these different levels, but just take society, since that's one we were just on with God's law, doesn't the entirety of your experience, all right, I know it's not as many years yet um, <laughs> as the old guys around here, it has been pointed out already, <laughs> but doesn't your experience tell you that societies that uh, reject God's law um, act in a certain way? Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's, you can go back and look in history, and it's, it's, it's readily apparent and observable empirical evidence to, to look, get out an atlas of the world, I always say. Pick out the 10 countries that you would live in in the world. What do they all have in common? God's law and God's scriptures. Pick out the 10 worst that you wouldn't go to, and what do they have in common? Right? A they denial. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, so our, our, our daily experience tells us these things. You know, Sola Scriptura is so beautiful. God's word is so beautiful. Uh, after all these years I've been a Christian, it's 33 years now, it's never failed. It has never failed in my daily life. It's always true. He always tells us the truth about life and death, good mm-hmm. and evil, right? By the great things in this life, uh, family and, and C.S. Lewis would say strawberries, right? You know, the great <laughs> things, the good things in this world. God's Word yeah. tells us all of these things. And that's why it's so important even in our daily lives. It's foundational, as you said, doctrinally. It's foundational, doctrinally knowing who God is, but also in our daily lives, Tommy. Yeah. All right. Do you like prosperity and goodness and peace? These are are great (laughs) things. Aren't they goodness? Yeah. Right. Where, how do, how do we get those things? By following the scriptures in, in God's word, yeah. yeah, and in that alone, right? I, I don't get it. Hey, I used to not be saved, and it's a lot easier for me than it is for people that have grown up in the church their whole lives to know the difference. I know what the fallen mind is like because I had one as an adult, and it's constant turmoil, mm. right? The Bible's true when it said, The wicked flee, though none pursueth, right? There's truth in that. And Sola Scriptura is so right when we use that in, instead of our, our uh, fallen natures. You know, it's, it's a path to peace and goodness, even when things are tough. 
even when the dog bites and the bee stings. <laughs> now, are you old enough to remember that one? <laughs> I have, yes. <laughs> okay. I, I do like that one quite a bit, actually. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you know, um, but even even through the evil parts of this world in this life, because they do come, the illness is going to come, okay? Yeah. It is going to come. You can't um, get away from it. You can't get away from it. Sometimes we get fired. Sometimes we... Uh, get hurt sometimes but what sola scriptura does for us is gives us that peace in the midst of the storm you know it's it's just i wouldn't trade it for nothing i would not trade it that's the good old texas mm. way of saying it okay <laughs> <laughs> you know oh i guess we'll, we can end on that so we really appreciate you coming on Mr. Mark, and we're looking forward for the next four episodes to continue to dive into this. Uh, this was great. I think it's going to be really helpful. Uh, just, I mean, this is really a community that doesn't know this stuff yet. I mean, your church is special. <laughs> yeah. Not everybody is, is knowledgeable there, and that's because we have great leaders like you to help us um, understand these things. But I'm going to correct him here. This is our church. Well, okay. and, that is true. Yes, and we have a leader, and his name's Jesus Christ. That's, yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I, I agree <laughs> with you. This this is lesser known, even in the Christian, even here in the Bible Belt, and um, it is uh, really good for us all. So I'm I'm really looking forward to this, and hoping we can uh, make a habit out of it. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking yeah. forward to. You said you have a a show coming up soon, right? Is that, is that gonna, it's still on the table? It is on the table. I would like to establish one um, in all this spare time that we have, you know. <laughs> <laughs> While you're sending, you know, rockets out into space. And Something like that. Doing sermons. Yeah, you can, you can have time for another podcast. Mm-hmm. Just do it while you're on a rocket. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, thanks again. All right. We'll see you next week. God bless.